During these final weeks of the church year before Advent, we monks read the Old Testament prophets every morning at vigils. Again and again, in the still darkness of early autumn, we hear these powerful voices intone a refrain, Return to me, O Israel, and I will return to you. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Zechariah, Malachi. Each speaks from a different period of Israel's history, confronts different kings, different rival factions, different crises and wars. But the word of the Lord remains the same. It is a command and a promise. Return to me, O Israel, and I will return to you. Now there are faithful kings who greet this word of command and promise with faithful action, Hezekiah and Josiah among them. These, though, are the exception. The nation as a whole, which is now, during the prophetic period, divided into northern and southern kingdoms, continues its long, slow descent into violence, greed, and idolatry. One morning during these weeks when we are listening to the prophets, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Amos. The Lord describes five occasions on which he sent different afflictions to get Israel's attention. And five times the prophet repeats, Yet you did not return to me says the Lord. Now, as we monks sit there in this early morning darkness listening to these persistent refrains, it can be easy, I confess, to zone out. Four hundred years of kings and idols and debaucheries can start to run together. Israel's sins can come to seem so obviously wrong. I sometimes find myself thinking thoughts like these. How hard can it really be to understand that sacrificing one's firstborn child to Moloch is wrong? Now, I imagine you've had a similar experience at some point in listening to the scriptures or reading them. This seems so obviously to belong to a different world. It isn't relevant. So why can't they listen? Why can't they pay attention to the judgment that's so obviously coming? Why can't they just cut it out and return to the Lord. They don't. So Israel is invaded by Assyria first, and then, 150 years later, Babylon invades Jerusalem, burns the temple to the ground, takes the kings and nobles captive, and sets up a puppet regime. But in exile, God continues calling out through the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel, Return to me, return to me, for I have redeemed you. In several weeks we'll read during one of the final selections from these prophets, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. By the time he prophesies, Israel has returned and with the support of the Persian king Cyrus, they've rebuilt the temple. But the same word of the Lord 
again comes to Malachi. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my commandments and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. Now, the prophet after this adds something new. A plea from the people who are witnessing his proclamation. How shall we return? This question finally receives an answer, not during the darkness of vigils, but in the morning light of today's gospel. And lo and behold, the one who shows Israel how to return is not even an Israelite. He is a Samaritan, and even more shocking, he's a leper. Now, before I attempt to uh, reflect with you for a moment on how the, the Samaritan leper shows us how to return, uh, just briefly, I want to describe what leprosy entailed during the ancient world. Now, this term, which is translated as leprosy, actually identifies an unknown skin disease that was a major concern for ancient Israel. And we know this because two whole chapters of Leviticus are devoted to it. Leviticus 13 and 14 sets forth detailed procedures for diagnosing and then quarantining people afflicted with this disease, and then purifying and readmitting them once they have been healed. Now, this is not about medical treatment, but about ritual purification. They are to be purified so they can be brought back within uh, the holy nation, the holy people of Israel. So, with that in mind, how does the Samaritan leper show Israel, and I would suggest us, how to return to the Lord? Well, first of all, he recognizes that he is in exile. To be a leper and to be a Samaritan in this time in Judea was to be uh, in exile. It was almost to be, for all intents and purposes, dead. So he recognizes this, and that's why, together with the other nine lepers, he cries out for pity when he sees the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, Master, have pity on me. But he not only recognizes, along with the other nine, but he also keeps the command that Jesus uh, delivers. Go, show yourselves to the priests. This is straight out of uh, the Torah. This is straight out of the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which prescribes how the leper, once he has been healed, is to be certified as pure and therefore returned into the community. So he obeys the commandments. He keeps the commandments in a spirit of faith, along with the other nine. At this point, there's no distinction between the Samaritan leper and the others. But then, as he's going with them, suddenly he realizes he has been healed. Now, he is the only one who makes this realization. What is it that prompts this? Well, he sees. He sees in a way the others don't. He sees, perhaps, with spiritual eyes. And he notices 
that he has been completely transformed, that he's been offered a promise of new life, of return from exile. And so he alone, then, turns and goes back to the Lord Jesus and prostrates himself in praise and in thanksgiving, prostrating himself on the ground. He understands the gift that he's been given in a way that the others do not. And this is why the Lord Jesus commends him for his faith. It is a faith that sees with spiritual eyes and understands the gift of God. A Samaritan leper shows Israel how to return to the Lord. And a Samaritan leper is the answer to the question posed to the prophet Malachi. And he is indeed the answer to all of the pleas that the Lord made through the prophets. Return to me and I will return to you.